Well, we are uh, in Mark chapter 1. We've been in Mark chapter 1 for about six weeks. We're talking about the kingdom gospel. The kingdom gospel is the the gospel that, that Jesus preached. And this week, we're focused on the word believe. And the, re- the reason is because in Mark 1.15, Jesus called those who would respond to the gospel, the euangelion, to repent, to believe, and follow. And so Mark's gospel is widely accepted as the first gospel written. It was written from Peter's eyewitness accounts, and it was written to Christians in Rome to encourage them, and it was primarily about Jesus as the servant king, the Messiah king who was a servant. In fact, he said in Mark 10, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, even to give my life. And in Mark 1, Mark the writer starts off with the beginning of the gospel. That word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. And for those who haven't been here, you remember euangelion is a call to pay attention. It's kind of like somebody going, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, except they would go euangelion, euangelion, euangelion. Good news, good news, good news. Now, it's translated for us in the Bible as gospel, good news, or glad tidings. You'll see those three words attached to euangelion. But euangelion was a secular word that meant one of three things, the good news. It was not used for good news that you just had a baby unless you were the emperor and the new emperor was born. But it wasn't, new, it wasn't used for good news that somebody had been healed or somebody had something really amazing happen. It was only used if a new emperor was crowned, if a new emperor was born, or if an emperor had a great military victory. Those were the only three instances where it would have been used. So in their mindset, when they heard euangelion, or when they read it, that's what have gone into their mind. They would have thought a new emperor is crowned or a new emperor is born. Somebody who's going to rule and reign. And so he shares that. He shares about Jesus being the Messiah. A, a different kind of king than, than had ever walked the face of the earth. He was a king who identified with his people. He got baptized. He didn't need to be baptized because of his sin, but he got baptized to identify with his people. He would ultimately take his people's sin upon himself. Second, he was also a king who intervenes for his people, even at the point of his death, of giving his life for his people. And it says that when Jesus came up out of the water in Mark 1, the heavens were being torn open, And that is the beginning of the bridge of Jesus between man and God. It also showed us a king who is ensuring hope for his people. He ensures hope for us. He he battled Satan one-on-one and he defeated him. He told him to leave and he left. He has authority over Satan. He proved that He was worthy to be the Messiah King when he went out there. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of the kingdom gospel where we talked about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
For most people, when they hear kingdom of God, they think heaven, someplace away. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being obeyed. It's where the king is and where his will is being obeyed. It's not a geographical area as much as it is an ideology area where his will is obeyed. That's what they would have thought. And so we talked about the kingdom of God and the different domains. Last week, we looked at part two where Jesus, remember what he said in, in one fifteen. he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, what? Repent. And we talked about repentance last week. We talked about what it meant and what it didn't mean. We saw that it's not just a change of mind about who Jesus is. I can tell you from going on hundreds of mission trips, hearing people get up and teach and getting into many debates over this issue because people would go, well, the word means change of mind. It's metanoia. It means change of mind. So it's literally changing your mind about Jesus. That, yeah, Jesus lived, He died, and He rose again. But they believe in Jesus the way, Amos, you believe in George Washington. You don't place any trust in George Washington. You just believed He lived. And so these people are basically taught that if you pray a prayer acknowledging Jesus died on the cross, that you're, you're sinful, you know you're sinful, He died on the cross, He rose again, and you believe that, then you're, you're saved. And that's what they're taught. And so what happens is they believe in Jesus the way we believe in a historical figure. But that's not what repentance is. That's not the change of mind that Jesus was talking about. And we looked at Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, at, at, at what Isaiah, the way he described repentance. It's a turning from our wicked ways and our wicked desires. It's internal. It's not just external, it's internal. It's a new life embracing the rule and reign of Jesus over your sins, over your life. It, it does include a change of mind, but what that change of mind is, it's not just recognizing that Jesus was a historical figure. It's basically saying, I've lived my life up to this point in rebellion against God. I've self-proved myself. I've been the boss of my life. I've been the God of my life. And it, owning that, admitting that, recognizing that, and having a change of heart saying, you know what? That's what the, the second part is. It's a change of mind. But then it's that change of heart that says, I agree with God. I'm rebellious and I deserve death. And I don't want that anymore. It's recognizing the evilness of our self-rule. Most of us don't think we're evil. We look at ISIS. We look at Hamas. We look at terrorists. We look at serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. They're evil, but we're not. I think everybody in here would have to agree that it, most, most of us think it, a lot of the times in our life we don't think we're that bad. We don't view any sin in our life being on the level of a Jeffrey Dahmer. We don't view our sin like that. We view, oh, it's not that bad. It didn't really hurt anybody. Yeah, I know I shouldn't do it. But we don't have the view of sin that God does. One sin, James says, one sin is like breaking them all. 
You break one law, you broke them all. There, there is no levels. I mean, there are in the sense of... That, I mean, we do know that he says it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah because they didn't have what you had. But as far as sin is concerned, James says you break one law, it's like you've broken them all of them. Well, I, I, I mean, I don't do what he, I'm not a murderer like him. He committed adultery. Well, not physically. You do it in your mind. Jesus said if you do it in your mind, it's like doing it in reality. Because what's in the heart is, is just as sinful as what you act out. And so it's a change of heart, but it's also a change of direction. It's saying, I, I'm going this way, and I'm ruling myself, and I want Jesus to take me that way. I want to walk His path. I want to be holy. I don't want to be a person who only does what my flesh wants to do. It's a changed life. There's no Christian life apart from repentance. It's impossible. And some people will say, well, you're preaching works. You're saying that that's adding works to the gospel. No, repentance is by God's grace. He grants us repentance. But there's, there's a strange God's sovereignty, our responsibility that comes together that we recognize we're going in the wrong direction and by the power of His Spirit, the power of the illumination of the Spirit, and then the strength of the Spirit to turn and go another way, we choose to go that way. I can't explain it. It's His mercy. But I know I've experienced it. I can't explain why He would do it in my life and not somebody else's life. But He does. And so we're going to look at Mark 1 again today, 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 10 and James 4 as we look at this question, what is belief slash faith? Same root word for both words in the the New Testament. Belief and faith. But we're going to look because Jesus says repent and what? Repent and believe. So He's called people to believe. So let's look at what it means. Let's read Mark 1 first. Join with me. We're going to read Mark 1. 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the euangelion of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the euangelion. That's what he says. All right, flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Looking at verse 1. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the euangelion I preached to you, which you received, which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Same word for believe there is the same word. It's the same root word Jesus used. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more 
than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now flip back one book to Romans. Go to Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 9. This is Paul writing to Rome. By the way, who's Mark writing to? Rome. This is Paul writing to Rome. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Flip over to James 4. I know you feel like we're doing Bible drill. James 4, verses 6 to 10. This is probably one of the best. You, you want a model for how to call somebody to follow Jesus? This is a good invitation here. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. That doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? That doesn't sound like many gospel presentations you hear. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. These are the very words of God. Remember guys, there are a lot of gospel distortions in our world, in our culture. The biggest one being the forgiveness only gospel. People have bought into this idea that they can believe in the facts about Jesus dying on the cross in the sense of the way they believe about some other historical event. And that is what saves them. But they don't buy into the whole package. They only buy into the facts about Jesus they don't really buy into Jesus. Do you understand the difference? We're going to look at that because that is really important. Remember, the word used is euangelion. The gospel is not about having your sins forgiven. It's about King Messiah coming and ruling and reigning. You have your sins forgiven to be part of His kingdom. To be part of the kingdom family. A king's domain, remember, is where his will is obeyed. And the gospel, the euangelion that we preach to people determines the kind of disciples that we make. And unfortunately, a lot of disciples have been made buying into the forgiveness-only gospel. It's basically what it is. It's a uh, fire insurance policy against hell. I believe that. I believe Jesus lived. I believe He died and rose again. 
but they believe in him like they believe in some historical figure. They don't place any trust in him. And Jesus says, the time is now, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. God's Messiah is here. His rule and reign is now. He's here to rule and reign. And He said, repent and believe in the euangelion. So what is belief? Well, the word there that He says in Mark 1.15 is pistuo. And it's also the same word for pistis, which means to believe to the extent of placing complete trust and reliance. That's what that word means in the Greek. Very specific. It's a, it's a belief that is a complete trust and reliance. That's what it means. So if I say I believe that chair is a good chair and it will hold me up, but I never go sit in it because I'm just, you know, I just don't. That's not real belief. I'm not exercising any complete trust in it because I never go over to sit in the chair to exercise that belief. And what happens with a lot of people, they say, well, I believe in Jesus, but they never exercise trust in Him. Their entire lives. And those are the people that are going to hear, Lord, I did this and I did this. He says, depart, I never knew you. I never knew you. You prayed some prayer, but like one friend of mine says, it never made the 18-inch transfer from up here to down here. It was always up here. So it never was part of the heart. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote. But believing is important. This word belief, this pistuo, was used by John the Baptist in John 3. He preached belief. Jesus, we saw in Mark 1, preach belief. He also preached about it in Luke and in John. John 3.16, one of the most famous Bible verses there is. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever what? Whoever pistuos, whoever has a belief and complete reliance in the Son of God, He will be saved. He will, he will inherit eternal life. In John 14, Jesus with His disciples. Don't be troubled. Believe, pistuo, in God. Believe also in Me. And so Jesus preached it. The apostles preached it in John 1. When John the apostle wrote the the Gospel of John, he gave the power to become children of God to who? To those who believe. To those who believe. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 1. Paul, in Acts 16, when he's with the jailer, remember he says, what, what, what must I do to be saved? Believe what? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. Paul preached it as well. All these men preached it. So, what is it that we are to believe in? Is it just this idea of Jesus? Well, Let's go to Romans 10, where we read from. Romans 10, real quick. And I want to point out a couple of things. This is very instructive for us. This is one of the greatest passages in the Bible on belief, really. Romans 10. And here's what's crazy. Paul is quoting here from Deuteronomy 30. 
And it's always important when somebody in the New Testament is quoting an Old Testament passage, you ought to go back and look at the context of what they're quoting. And in that context, what's going on is Moses is challenging the people of Israel to say, you're not following God's law because you don't really believe in your heart who He is and what He's telling you is good. That's what Moses is saying. You do not believe in your heart and soul in the one true living God. And so Paul makes this about Jesus. He says, verse 9, he says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, there's a lot of people that hang their hats on that and they say, oh, I believe in Jesus. They think that's confessing with their mouth. I believed He raised Him from the dead. But again, they believe in it like you believe about facts of America, the founding fathers. They're not believing in all that it encompasses. When you say you believe in the resurrection, it's more than just believing that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. And so Paul brings this out. And what it says back in Deuteronomy 30.14 is, but the Word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What Moses is saying is, it's right here. You can do it. It's, it's in your heart and soul. But you've got to choose to obey. Because obedience, guys, is always connected to true belief. It always is. You cannot divorce obedience from belief. In fact, in John 3, after he says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, at the end of the chapter, it says, it, it equates it, it equates unbelief with disobedience. In fact, that's what it says. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes, that word pistuo, in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. So there, even the right, even John's saying that when you don't obey, you don't really believe. And so Paul says, you confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, believe in your heart. He says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Justified means that we become righteous with God. We are right in right standing with God. When He sees us, we're in right standing with our heart. When our heart believes. What do we believe? That God raised Him from the dead. And then he says, that's the positive. The, the negative is the saved part. He says, with one's mouth, you confess and you're saved. What? Rescued from the penalty and the power of sin. That's what we're saved from. So he says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Scriptures, he was there three days. So the resurrection is the main point of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the culminating point. It was kind of like the pinnacle, right? Everything about Jesus is focused on that. No other leader in history, no other Buddha didn't do it, Muhammad didn't do it. Nobody else was resurrected. Nobody else said they were without sin. 
Only Jesus. And it was all encapsulated that. He lived a perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice and he accomplished the perfect atonement. And all that is wrapped up in his resurrection. So if you believe in the resurrection, what you're really saying that I have complete trust and reliance on is that Jesus was God. So you're affirming the deity of Jesus when you say that. If you don't believe that, like if you don't really believe Jesus was God, don't say you believe in the resurrection. You're saying, I believe that the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus was accomplished on my behalf. It was accomplished because I'm a sinful person. So if you don't believe that, Don't say you believe in the resurrection. It's saying that His priestly work that Jesus is doing right now, intervening, you believe in on our behalf. If you don't believe He's up there intervening, don't say you believe in the resurrection. It's saying that I believe He's coming again in His glory. If you don't believe that, don't say you believe in the resurrection. Because it's all tied into that. It's not just some vague belief in Jesus or God. You can talk to a lot of people, oh, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in Jesus. But it's some vague thing. It has no reliance, no trust. But it is believing He is our source of salvation and our King, our ruler, and our reign. He reigns over us. So what does it mean to really believe in your heart? To have it go from here to here? Well, first... It's saying, I believe Jesus was Messiah King. He was the anointed one that was prophesied in the Scriptures. That's what it means to believe in your heart. And I believe He suffered and died according to the Scriptures. It says, I believe that He rose after three days because God was satisfied. God was satisfied. What did Jesus say right before He gave up the ghost? Right before He died? Say it. It is finished. And so... He, after He paid for every sin that needed to be paid for, what happened? He passed, was in the grave three days, and then He rose again. And God was satisfied. And then He sits at the right hand of the Father. And that's what you're saying when you say, I believe. And you're saying, I believe God raised Him because His atonement for sin for all who believe. And I'm totally dependent on that. That was His atonement for all who believe and I'm totally dependent on Him and in need of Jesus for my salvation. When you say, I believe in the resurrection, that's what you're saying. I'm having complete reliance on that for my salvation. It comes from outside of me. There's nothing I can do. That's what, it's, that's what you're saying. I believe in Jesus as Messiah. But then he says, confess with your mouth. And he says, confess Jesus as Lord. You know what that means? He's Lord. It means He's ruler. He's sovereign. He is king over every aspect of the universe and every aspect of my life. I'm not the ruler. I'm not in charge. He is. And so He's the source of my worth, my value, and He is the one who has complete authority over me. If you do not believe that, then you do not believe He's Lord. Plain and simple. So when people ask, 
hey, you know what, Don? If, if I trust Jesus, do I have to give up drinking? They don't understand that. If if I Chuck, if I if I if I follow Jesus, does that mean I have to stop, you know, uh, smoking? If I say it, do does that mean I have to stop anything? It means that you, if you're trying to negotiate something, you don't understand that He's Lord. You don't understand He's authority. He's the King. He's the ruler. I've sat there and heard people. You know what? You don't have to worry about that. You just let God deal with that down the road. And they're trying to be kind to people. They want to see people in the kingdom. But what they're doing is they're, they're selling them a forgiveness-only gospel. And that's why we have impotent churches and impotent ministries in the U.S. Because that is promulgated throughout our country. Because people don't really treat Him like He is their authority. He's just an add-on to their life. Our attitude in believing should be one of humility, not of pride. It's pride that says, hey, do I have to stop doing this? And I'm entitled to this, right? I, I own, I mean, I, I want to do this. I enjoy this. I don't want to give this up. It's not one of humility. We reject our abilities. We reject our righteousness. And we embrace Jesus. We have nothing good to offer. And we don't deserve to be saved. Do we really believe that? Because I, I have to tell you that it, at times it's a battle that goes on. It says, you know what? You're not a bad guy. You do a lot of good things, man. This is not very uplifting, Doug. <laughs> this is not very uplifting. It almost sounds legalistic. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Three, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children. Notice he says, turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of seven. Or greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Saving grace, guys, comes to the humble, not to the proud. And so, James 4, flip over there real quick. We're going to finish here with James 4. This passage I read to you that's such a good passage on this issue of approaching God and our attitude of humility. And some people go, well, how can you make that about salvation there? That's, James is talking to believers, isn't he? No, you know who he's talking to here? He's talking to people that are religious, but they're not saved. They're not saved. And you, you know how you know? You look down at verse 8. And verse 8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Sinners is never used when people are writing in the Bible to describe Saints. Nowhere in the New Testament do you see it used. So he's talking to people that aren't believers. He calls them double-minded. He's talking to basically churched unbelievers. 
religious people, but very lost. And that's what's so heartbreaking about where we are as a country right now. But this is an invitation to believe. He's giving them an invite to turn from that false belief to true belief. To move from just the intellectual up here in my head down to where it's in my heart. And in verse 7, he says what? Submit to God. In other words, He's my authority. So I'm not going to rebel against Him anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender to Him. That's what it means. Verse 7 also, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know what this is talking about here? This is talking about where your ultimate loyalty is. All you guys who have teenagers will appreciate this, right? When you tell your teenagers not to do something, because you know you probably did it when you were a teenager and it didn't work out too well for you, so you're giving them counsel and you're telling them out of love because you don't want them to experience the consequences, so you tell them, but then they get around their friends and their friends, oh, your dad's just being old-fashioned, man. We'll be cool. It's cool. It's cool. It's cool. And so they do what their friends say. Are they loyal to you if they do what their friends say? Yes or no? No. No. There's no loyalty there. What they're loyal loyal to is themselves and their friends. So, when you're struggling with your flesh on an issue, temptation pops up, Satan's going, come on, come on, come on, you deserve this. You deserve this. You've had a rough day. You know, you, you deserve this. I mean, don't, don't worry about those. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just being old-fashioned. God doesn't, God doesn't want you. Did God really say? And when we choose to go that way against God, who are we being loyal to? And so if you have patterns of loyalty to the enemy, Paul says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And so he's telling them, listen, resist the devil. And you go, yeah, but I believe. I remember when I prayed a prayer. You know what James says? Even the demons believe and they tremble. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God. What does that mean? Pursue God. Pursue, long to really know Him. Do you, do you really want to know God? Do you really want to walk with God? Because if you do... This has got to be a part of your discipline. You cannot know God apart from His Word. He, has dis- he is the one that says that. I had a friend who teaches the Word like I do, and somebody came up to him the other day and said, you've made an idol out of the Bible. Because he tells people, if you want to know God, you've got to go here. We can't know God apart from the way He's prescribed here. And so, are we pursuing Him? A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. It's really, really good. If you've never read it, it's it's just a short little read, but it's just about men who pursued God and your own pursuit of God. But are, are we drawing near to Him? It says, draw near to Him and He will do what? He'll come to you. He looks for people that are seeking Him. When Jesus said, knock, 
The door will be open. That's what he's talking about. So draw near. And then he says in verse 8, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Cleansing your hands was the external. In other words, you know, don't keep doing the same filthy things before God. There's got to be some... What happens on the inside affects our outside. So he says you've got to purify the internal. And only God can do that. This is not something we can just say, I'm going to be holy. No. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I don't want to be this way. True faith doesn't just save us from our consequences of sin. It saves us from our sin. From the power of sin. I've talked to guys, you know what, I just can't help myself. That's a lot from the enemy. When you give in to something that you know goes against God's Word, purify your hearts. Verse 9, be wretched. Mourn, weep, broken and contrite over our sin. Not some trivial view of it. You know, a lot of times we minimize sin in our life when it's something that isn't murder, telling a lie, a greed, something that we shouldn't have done that we did. It should break our hearts. Anytime we do something we know is not glorifying to God. It says, be wretched, mourn and weep. When's the last time you heard a pastor up there tell you, Amos, be wretched and mourn and weep? We don't hear that. We hear that. You know what? God loves you. He has a great plan for your life. <laughs> you know, we're just here today and we, we just... We just want you to know that we're behind you and you're great and you're going to have everything you ever wanted. All you got to do is trust Jesus. That's Watch it. Out, Watch out. And write a check. And write a check. Yeah. I'm just saying, when's the last time you heard pastors preach about us mourning and weeping over our sin? He says back in Romans 10 or 10, 9 and 10, he says, if you confess, you will be saved. And the context there in back in Romans 10 is passive. It's saved from somebody outside of yourself. This is very unique to the Christian faith. Most other religions don't even teach that there's any kind of judgment after life. And if there is, you can work your way into it to a good standing, hopefully. But Paul says it's a divine intervention. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. What? Lest any man should boast. Yeah. Lest any man should boast. He saves us, guys, by grace. Not by instruction, not by exhortation. I was thinking one time, you know, uh, when I was about seven years old, I was at this public pool, big public pool. My dad was afraid of water, so we didn't get swimming lessons. Uh, we took them, but he just never let us swim that much, and so I wasn't a good swimmer. And I was standing over near the seven, six, seven foot 
part of the pool with some friends, and one of them bumped me into the water. And I was just, like I was drowning. I was sitting there, and at that moment that I was drowning, I didn't need somebody to teach me swimming lessons. I didn't need somebody to tell me, you know what, Doug, you shouldn't have been standing by the seven-foot water because you can't swim very good. What I needed was intervention. And an adult reached down there and grabbed me and pulled me out of that water. And that's what Jesus did for us. We cannot, we cannot get to God apart from Jesus. That is the resurrection is that he, it encompasses his whole life. And now he's ruler. The euangelion is he rules and reigns over me, over my sin. You know what it says in Matthew 1? When the angel came, he, he told Mary, he says, you will bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, and what? He will save his people from what? From their sins. Plural. He saves us. So you know that term saved is used almost 400 times in the Bible? I don't know any other, any other religious belief system where people use the term saved, do you? Do you? Are you saved? I think Christianity is probably one of the only ones. But what are we saved from? Well, we're saved first of all from the guilt of our sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody in this room glorifies God in their sinful state. Nobody. So we fall short. And, and there's guilt associated with that. We know that. Nobody has to convince us. Isaiah 55 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity or the sin guilt of us all. And Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, he died. For... There, there's guilt there. That's a good guilt. It's guilt because it, it should be felt because we're guilty. You know, people go, well, we shouldn't feel guilt. No, you should feel guilt until you repent. Right? Should a bank robber feel guilt when he goes up into a... He's on trial? If he committed the crime, should he feel guilty? Yeah. Yes. But there's people who say, well, we, you shouldn't be feeling guilty. Don't be making people feel guilty when you're preaching. Well, the second thing he saves us from is alienation from a God that results from our sin. We're children of wrath because of that. We're separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 says this, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sin. So there's a wide gulf that you can never get over. And, and I, I tell people all the time, it's like you're trying to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. It's impossible. You can't do it. You have to have a bridge. You can't make it across there. And Jesus is that bridge. But it also saves us from the wages of our sin. So Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal death. You know, when we think about 
eternal death. We call it hell. We call it eternal death. Second judgment. Second death. That's what Revelation 20... Revelation 20, by the way, talks about the great white throne judgment. We will not be there if we're true believers. It's only for the people that aren't believers. But it's not a good thing. No hope. No help. Just pain, torment, loneliness. And we're saved from that if we truly believe. Pistuo. A complete reliance on Jesus. So, do I believe that Jesus was God's promised Messiah and now rules and reigns? Do I really believe that? With that that understanding of what the word believe means? Do I submit to His reign and rule over my life? Do I pursue a loving relationship with the King? Do I desire to turn from sin toward a life of holiness? Or is that legalism? Do I grieve in bitterness over my sin? Do I really grieve over my sinful behavior when it happens? Do I surrender to live for Him as a priest and ambassador? That's what He calls us to. That's what we are. You are brought in to then be deployed out. So those are questions that we got to wrestle with as we think about this term believe. So his invitation, repent and believe, you can see is much more than just believing in the facts about Jesus dying on the cross. It is something that we need to really consider and remember as we're sharing with people. Don't get lulled into this pragmatic approach to try to make it, well, I don't want to offend them. You know, I just want to, I, I just, I don't want to see them go to hell. Well, we shouldn't want anybody to go to hell, but we got to tell them the truth of what Jesus is saying. We can't just manipulate the message to try to get more people in because what we're going to do is produce false converts. Jesus himself said the road is broad and wide that leads to destruction and it's very narrow. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, do we believe? Brad, will you close our time in prayer? Father, what a good reminder that the good news is not simply about our sin being forgiven, but that the king of the universe has arrived. We know, Father, that <clears throat> from Deuteronomy that the word is near to us. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. I, I pray, Father, that we would submit to him, mm. that we would draw near to him. Father, that we would cleanse our hands and that we would purify our hearts that we would recognize our wretchedness, that we would mourn and weep. Father, that we would humble ourselves and be like children. Mm -hmm. Father, create in us a clean heart. Mm -hmm. Renew a right spirit in us, that we might follow you, that we might obey you, that we might believe in you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right.